0: There are shows where you know some people are just gonna hate it. They just don't like the style, they think it's self-indulgent, they don't get it, but that's the kind of failure I like. A powerful reaction one way or the other uh, is infinitely preferable to me than pleasing everybody. If, you, if, ever, if I walk in a room where everybody agrees with me, uh, I find that frightening and dismaying
1: and, and boring as fuck. Welcome to Friends of Anthony Bourdain.
2: I'm Emily Fedner, a former line cook, pasta pop-up owner, and the creator behind Food Lover's Diary.
1: And I'm Fabrizio Volpando, also known as The Moody Foodie. I'm a former waiter turned food-obsessed home cook and recipe developer.
2: You might be familiar with the Friends of Bourdain Instagram and TikTok account. That was started by our producer as a way of keeping Bourdain's legacy alive.
1: So this is about you, his fans. We want to continue the conversations about Tony's travels.
2: So that's why we started this podcast, actually, as fans ourselves who are inspired by Bourdain.
1: And each week we get to return to parts unknown or parts now known.
2: We'll reconnect with the friends Anthony Bourdain traveled the world with, revisit the places they traveled to, and explore what's changed since they last visited.
1: All as told by his friends. And this week we are joined by Tom Vitale.
2: Tom is Bourdain's producer, director, and friend of over 20 years. And what is so interesting to me is as a huge fan of Bourdain and all the shows myself, I actually didn't know that much about Tom Vitale. But in doing some research, I was like, holy shit, this is the one of the single most important people that we can talk to on the Friends of Bourdain podcast. Well, I
1: was thinking the same thing where, you know, you, you see the guests, you see the people, uh, the restaurant owners, everything, uh, the, all the fixers. But there's people behind the camera. We
2: forget that sometimes.
1: Absolutely. You think of the more extreme episodes, you know, people are trudging through the shit and they're waist deep in waters that are uncharted and like crazy stuff. There are people behind those cameras.
2: It's so wild. And as people who've worked in restaurants our whole lives. We know that there's such a high turnaround rate with staff Mm -hmm. at restaurants, but Tom worked with Bourdain for 20 years. He started as a tape logger, became basically indispensable to the production, and I really feel like no one has a better inside look into what it was like to work with Bourdain over those 20 years. He directed a couple episodes. I know he directed the Romania episode, Mm -hmm. which was hilarious in and of itself, and he had a big hand in the Congo episode, which also went down in history as a really unique and also really complicated episode.
0: Everyone gets everything he wants.
1: I wanted to see the Congo.
2: And for my sins, they let me.
1: Being able to hear from the perspective also, like professionally, working with Tony, and then obviously, after over 20 years, the friendship that came of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I just Never occurred to me.
2: Tom produced over a hundred episodes of Bourdain's shows, and he also published a book called In the Weeds, which is all about his experiences behind the scenes with Anthony Bourdain. He has years and years and years of Bourdain travel knowledge to impart on us, so uh, let's speak with Tom Vitale, a friend of Anthony Bourdain. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today. So will you tell us a little bit about your start and your first time meeting Anthony Bourdain.
0: <laughs> I uh, pretty soon out of school started logging tapes on this medical reality show, which I really, really hated. So uh, down the hall, they were doing this food and travel show. So I, I started uh, working on that. The first time I met Tony was pretty uh, inauspicious. I was um, tasked with uh, delivering a cut of the show to his apartment. Tried to work out something, um, you know, smart or interesting to say because I mean, even just watching the footage, you, you know, he had this kind of magical thing about him, made you feel like you kind of knew him. So I wanted to impress him with something, and uh, I knocked on his door, and he took the tape from my hand, and it, it closed in my face before I had a chance to even say anything. I don't think he even made eye contact. Yeah, despite that, we'd go on to have a very fruitful career together.
2: That feels very Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm.
1: Do, do you remember what that incredibly witty or clever thing that you were planning on saying to him was? It was something about knowing the, uh, the place, St. Martin. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> it, it, would you say that after that instance of first meeting him, very briefly, would you say that he kind of like warmed up to you pretty quickly after that, or it was still like a gradual relationship development?
0: After that, mm-hmm. I went on to sort of become the post-producer because there were field producers on the show and then post-producers. So I would take the shows through edit and record the scratch narration that he would hear. So on our first shoot together, which was um, to Russia, he said something to the effect of, I feel like I already know you because I hear your voice all the time. And But it, it wasn't really like a compliment. It was just like, <laughs> he hated scratch narration. Mm. And so he's like, hearing your voice, reading all these awful words, but he was always funny about it.
2: Did you always love food and traveling, or is, is that something that grew on you? Like you saw that show down the down the hallway, and why did why did that pique your interest?
0: Well, there was just slightly less blood.
2: Yeah, but like still some. In the medical
0: show, <laughs> <round. So, laughs> definitely still some blood. I mean, especially back then, it's it's not a, a party till somebody kills a pig. Tony least I like to say
2: the pig episodes, and during the Congo episode, the yes. the chicken situation.
1: I was rewatching the, that Congo episode, and like I would love to hear sort of the moments before, was it easy to be convinced? to? There is that like shot of you just with panic in your eyes, just slitting the throat of this chicken over the Congo River and just what were the moments before like?
0: Uh, Well, I I kept thinking I was gonna be able to get out of it because Mm. you know, there were all these other things that happened and Tony often had crazy ideas. And you know, as the person in charge of the schedule or as much as anyone can be in charge of a schedule Mm. in such a environment, you know, I thought we'd run out of time because he'd been talking about it for you know a day or so. But no, he uh, he really stuck to that as if it was the most important mission. I mean, every, it wasn't just me. It was everyone cutting a head off the chicken. Mm. I just had the most difficulty with it.
2: Mm. If you had told him you didn't want to, would he have accepted that answer?
0: Oh, no, no, no. I mean, he, he knew long before we ever even got to the Congo, how much I did not like blood or mm. killing animals. So that was... uh He was like, I want was, to personally uh, I mean, that was the torture whole, you. <laughs> was the entire reason that he came up with the idea to have, you know, make this stew on the boat. Mm. was just so that we'd all get tortured. I, I don't think he predicted how much it was going to upset me, though. So.
2: In re-watching all these episodes, I love the nature of your relationship with Tony. One episode really stuck out to me. I think it was in Naples where he said something about dismembering your body. <laughs> Do you remember that? What was he talking? He made about a lot
0: again? of bodily harm jokes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the usual <laughs> background behind that is you know me constantly prompting him to deliver content, as he called it, and him being resistant towards that. I'll tell you though that the the best stuff all happened off camera. What was
2: a favorite off camera moment for you?
0: I don't know. I mean, just hanging out with him when we weren't talking about work. Those would be really, he was just so wickedly funny about everything. You know, he might be telling some story about some crazy thing Britney Spears did. That was a topic he really liked for some reason.
1: (laughs) Reading his books, watching his show and everything. You pick up pretty quickly, like how many film references and, you know, film was like a huge part of his, the stuff that he loved to talk about. Was it kind of hard keeping up with like all the references? Did you like learn a lot of all the things? I stopped trying.
0: (laughs) I mean, it almost became like a a joke. I, I was raised without television or things like that, too. So that was a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm-hmm. I could just kind of lean back on that. But he, he'd give us all lots of references before films, so I would make sure to to look at those. I can't say that everyone else pretended to know his obscure film references. It seemed like they knew them. I definitely did not always know them
2: that's so funny i would never pretend to be able to to know those things i feel like you can't one up even now watching them back i'm just like i'm not even gonna pretend to be nearly this witty or educated i don't know what he's talking about (laughs) i
1: mean like i've looked up some of the bands that he liked and some of the movies i'm like holy shit i would have never picked up It's
2: it's like encyclopedic knowledge of culture
0: even more intensely and obscurely so off camera i mean You know, anything that made it to the show would have been um, sort of edited and Mm. at least presumed to be uh, broad enough to (laughs) not be completely inside. Do at least 25%
2: of the general population, would they understand this reference? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) As I was thinking about speaking with you, what got me really excited was the idea that you spent 20 years with Anthony Bourdain and the sheer amount of on and off camera content and the amount of countries you travel with him. It's just like Hard to fathom. And I was like, what questions do we even ask about? How do you even distill that down into questions to an interview? But something I kept thinking about was, what was your favorite place that you guys ever traveled to together?
0: Southeast Asia was always just such a privilege to visit. That's one of my favorite parts of the world in particular. We had an amazing time in Colombia. I remember that was a really special trip. It wasn't until I would sort of be on the airplane on the way home or get home and look at the pictures that I'd taken on a trip before I kind of even realized that we were there sometimes. I can't speak for everyone who worked on the show, but for me, it definitely was not about the food and travel. It mm-hmm. was, uh, I don't know what it was about, but it wasn't really about that. I'm not the most adventurous eater, which mm-hmm. was another, be too strong to call it bone of contention, but something he certainly liked to tease me about a lot.
2: What was the most uh, challenging unfamiliar. thing? You, unfamiliar. Unfamiliar yeah. thing that you, tried and liked and most unfamiliar thing you tried and didn't like
0: i didn't really eat a vast lion's share of the food i would lose about 10 pounds after each of these trips from basically not eating and it had starvation didn't even to the torture it list was, it didn't even matter if it was something that i really loved or was really delicious like you know imagine a granny in italy preparing this you know wonderful pasta dish just with tomatoes something super simple like baby food practically but I couldn't even have that. The stomach just feels like a tight knot when you're filming. Camera guys always enjoyed eating the food and I used to get pretty jealous that they would be able to actually have an appetite.
1: I mean, I can't imagine how stressful it must be like from your position. Also just traveling in general just does not make the stomach super (laughs) able to just receive whatever's thrown at it.
2: That was a a nice way of putting that, Fabrizio. (laughs)
1: It's, It's interesting, you know, like the relationship that you guys had specifically How it was so both, you know, personal as friends, but also very professional, right? Everyone that we've spoken to, they say Tony's very genuine. And did you notice like maybe a bit of a difference, like off screen, on screen, since you got to sort of see it both ways?
0: Yeah, absolutely. He definitely, he would turn on for Mm. the cameras. And that was a little bit of a different Tony. I mean, he would go above and beyond to make whoever he was set across the table from feel comfortable and, you know, like they couldn't say anything stupid or wrong, um, I'd say that would be very different off-camera.
2: What did you like least about him? What was the most difficult Mm. part about working with Tony?
0: Well, I'd say that we all worked very hard to present him with really amazing experiences that, you know, would then translate through to the the show. I think the hardest part would be when you'd worked really, really hard on something and maybe he even knew it, but didn't seem that inspired by it. Mm. I mean, that was a little demoralizing.
1: I do remember... In the Roadrunner documentary, reading the four page long email that was beautifully written, but incredibly critical. And you said, I think you ended it with saying, and that was to someone that he respected. That was an interesting, I just that stuck with me in the documentary because, yeah, that, that must have been very difficult. I don't remember who said that,
0: but, you know, if you were actually really upset. Mm -hmm. You know, he would have been nicer that he would have put away his claws.
2: What was one such experience where you worked? you personally worked really hard on setting something up and he was not vibing with it?
0: Well, I recall those shoot days. But (laughs) the thing is that I think part of the reason he wouldn't vibe with things is, you know, he felt so sort of uncomfortable about performing for the camera. Mm. And so if he said, yeah, that was a really great scene, it would sort of highlight to him a little bit of the artifice of the whole thing, Mm. which, you know, I think he didn't, didn't like that
2: makes sense like taking him out of the moment of what he's actually experiencing and realizing that it's being translated into a show and something for others consumption
0: absolutely i mean we the crew uh, mightily we had such a talented crew that we worked with to set everything up so that when tony arrived he could literally just walk into the scene and sit down and you know there would be lights and cameras there obviously but you know he could ignore them as opposed to him arriving and having to hear the crew discuss about where to set up. I mean, I used to sit in for him often so that they could set up the shots and mm-hmm. hearing the camera guys talking about the lighting and how you looked. I mean, you know—we also kept the people he was talking to on camera, if possible, away from that because it's very, very dehumanizing. Mm. Start to talk about someone like an object. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah, I guess that just put a question in mind. What would you say some of the episodes from like a production standpoint to set up like the, i'm assuming obviously the congo you probably aren't really playing around with the lighting all too much but what would you say some of the episodes? we were oh yeah oh god i can't even imagine even
0: there jeez no yeah on the boat i mean something like the boat would have been a practical set mm-hmm. where we're just going with the lighting that we have but at any time at least in the last 10 years i worked with tony that he was sat down at a table mm-hmm. with anyone there were lights involved so sometimes we all right we don't have time to light let's set up outside And do an outdoor meal in that case we need to silk the sun Mm. to cut the light so there was no such thing as really just kind of walking into it so there was always quite a bit uh if you turn the camera around it look a little different it's definitely difficult i mean for the camera guys trying to come up with a a new shot all the time and then of course logistics always you know if they wanted the right depth the background of the lights we'd inevitably be blocking the bathroom or the one access from the kitchen you know with our footprint the places we filmed Mm. in were just like they looked on camera, they were often quite... I mean, they were real. These were places mm-hmm. open for business. There are very, very few examples of when we would film in a closed restaurant because a lot of the energy, everything came from, you know, the people who were actually eating there who generally had no idea that there was going to be a film shoot going on when they went to have lunch.
2: I think that that's what everyone loved so much about the show too is we just felt like we were one of those people in that restaurant yeah, kind of like experiencing mm-hmm. it. And it didn't feel like it was so like produced and uh, for camera. And I, I, lo- I personally really... Loved that. What's the most disastrous thing that has happened while you guys have uh, filmed?
0: Most disastrous thing? Well, there were two instances when we inadvertently triggered a food riot that was uh, not planned. It was kind of disastrous. It got a little real. But in general, anytime we were filming with something that moved a car, a boat, a train, uh, something would always go wrong. On, On one of the instances with the food riot, we were in Madagascar, on the train, and it was supposed to be an eight-hour trip to the coast and ended up taking – it was 18 hours. Oh, my God. So you can imagine how that throws a bit of a wrench in a production <laughs> schedule. Wait,
2: by food riot, what do you specifically mean?
0: When there's not enough food and everyone starts to go a little mad.
2: Like the the, the crew
0: no no the the people that's what i thought locals. you meant
2: because i do remember one time there were a ton of like you guys were eating outside i think it was somewhere in africa and then everyone started coming up to i think West. that's
0: madagascar yeah. yeah i was just mentioning yeah. at the uh the train that also happened in haiti
1: it shows that the show wasn't just about the food like you mentioned earlier you know the people and the situations that other countries and cultures have to go through though. We probably have no idea.
2: Must be such an uncomfortable moment when you're surrounded by this abundance of food and like a huge budget and filming and then the reality of the situation of where you're filming kind of hits you in the face.
0: One time I was in Madagascar and there were all of these, uh, it had been a a difficult shoot, you know, it was the end of the shoot and I was really tired and we're getting our last B-roll and there were these prostitutes that would hang out on the street near the hotel and they were there all the time. So I would talk to Tony about the end of a shoot, what else do we need to cover? And he said, make sure you get, you know, the prostitutes hanging out by the hotel. So, you know, we go to go do that and no problem they were perfectly nice the fixer sort of arranged that we just want to show your faces but the whole thing made me kind of uncomfortable and it was Mm a a driving rainstorm and so often especially with b-roll i like to kind of be a bit removed from the action. I could keep a better eye on things, and also that way people wouldn't come up and ask me what we were filming. So I was standing underneath this overhang, this awning, and I stepped on something soft. It was a baby. You know, I didn't step on the baby. It was the cardboard the baby was lying on that belonged to one of the ladies that we were filming. Uh, I remember that night it was particularly difficult. Wait, um, the baby was you know, a- we go-
2: alive? Left
0: by itself on, on some cardboard, you know, 20 feet from mm-hmm. some other... I remember the hotel, we, we were staying at a cheaper hotel on that trip, and I'd complained a lot about that. Tony was a mm-hmm. nicer hotel, and I remember that night feeling pretty shitty mm-hmm. about myself. Um, that's a more extreme example, but, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing happened a lot.
1: On a show and shooting locations that are very unfamiliar and, you know, difficult, clearly, what would you say, maybe, whether it's professionally or otherwise, things that you learned from Tony, you know, sharing those experiences that you probably still carry on with you to this day like what would some of those be
0: well i certainly had quite an education yeah. with tony i don't know his advice could be could be questionable his <laughs> personal <laughs> advice I remember he advised a friend of mine who was having trouble with her family to break up with them. It was pretty bad advice. But but as far as professionally, mm-hmm. I mean, he was the best as far as that's concerned. I mean, always looking at things differently, finding a different way to do it, just fighting whatever instinct is natural initially to keep yourself from getting a kind of rut or just repeating what we've done before. It could be pretty brutal, but it was also brilliant the way his, his mind worked
2: that Anthony Bourdain's passionate search for new cultures and cuisines will inspire your next travel and adventure.
1: Monos is an award-winning travel and lifestyle brand that makes timeless premium goods for the mindful traveler. Their collection of luggage, bags, clothing, and accessories is designed with intention, crafted with care, and made to last. Quality and sustainability are at their core, and in effort to reduce waste, they designed their products to stand the test of time ensuring that your travel places will accompany you for life. Monos are proudly climate-neutral certified, and as a member of 1% for the Planet, they donate 1% of revenue to verified nonprofit organizations that are dedicated to preserving and restoring the natural world.
2: Monos is inviting listeners of the Friends of Bordain podcast to learn more about their story and experience their collection of premium travel goods firsthand and, for a limited time, are offering 15% off your purchase at monos.com using the code BORDain15. You know the saying, don't meet your heroes? I don't have any preconceived notion here. I personally feel like Anthony Bourdain is the number one person I ever wanted to meet in my life. But would you say that there's anyone who could say that to be true of, of him? They had disappointing Well, it depends on what
0: level. I mean, if you just uh, met him on the street, I bet it would have been lovely. I knew him quite well, and I am don't regret for one second any of that. And he definitely was a hero, still is, is a hero to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he was far more delicate gradual and insecure than anyone I think would have guessed he was from his on-camera persona. But that kind of just added to the appeal in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been a lot less attractive if he was like an asshole who mm-hmm. had such a swollen head. He thought he was God's gift to creation.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's why he resonated with all the wide gamut of guests that and people that crossed through the parts unknown and no reservations doors. He was of the people and he was just like anyone else but also incredibly brilliant and talented but not ever acting better than anyone
1: yeah and i I feel like my first introduction to anthony bourdain i was probably 22 23 and i read kitchen confidential he has this badass rolling stone persona that i guess you initially pick up on but then upon reading his words and like seeing you know his show you see that vulnerable side and you get that sense of like oh yeah he can be pretty timid or he can be pretty shy or he you know, he definitely roots for the underdog and he admits to when he doesn't know about something. And I think that was what made him who he was. And yeah, it's so impactful.
2: Do you have a favorite guest?
1: I hated
0: the guests. I mean, (laughs) they were all lovely. I I hated when we had to include somebody, especially if they were famous, because that was just like as if the job wasn't already hard enough, Mm. like controlling the universe. Now I've got someone with an actual schedule that Mm -hmm. I need to worry about. And so it would kind of throw me off my game a bit. Fortunately, because I did most of the farther flung episodes, we didn't have many guests on the episodes that I worked on or as many as some of the others. One very uh, notable example, though, would be when Darren Aronofsky came along on two shoots that I did. And he was just like, he was so cool, really wonderful. In fact, I was so intimidated by him. And then he kept saying all these things like, Oh, my gosh, I don't know how you guys do all this. And so that was like,
1: a little mind blowing. What episode would you say like you just got home and you're like, fuck, that was smooth sailing. As smooth as it could be. Like which one would you say was the closest to like, okay, that that went well.
0: That's a really tough question because I remember feeling that way one time. And it ended up being, I think, one of the episodes that I'm the least proud of. And oh. so you learn pretty quickly that if you had a good time in the field, it was not going to be a good episode. And then vice versa. I mean, Tony would talk about this the more painful a trip had been the better an episode it was and unfortunately <laughs> there was something to that does anyone ever really want to see someone go away and just have a good time
2: no <laughs> yeah, we want to see the struggle <laughs> i mean i'm laughing about it but i know a lot of the struggles were that's very like serious and not of, funny yeah but...
1: that's like one of those like that showbiz baby moments are yeah yes just... Makes good TV. Makes for good TV. Yeah.
2: Speaking of episodes, you were maybe not proud of, or just difficult episodes. Tell us a little bit about Romania. Well,
0: Romania is a tough one because it's both something I'm very proud of because it was unbelievably hilarious. I think that might have come a bit at the cost of Romania itself. I mean, everything that happened in the show was real, but you know, in in later years, I think we learned to uh, take less advantage of some of the things maybe put in front of us. That was my first directing mm-hmm. job. And when I, that was done, I thought for sure, because Tony so upset. He came away from that show, he was just furious. And I thought, this is like my, you know, well, at least I got to do one. Then he said, when he saw the, the rough cut, which was usually a kind of very painful experience for him, he couldn't stop laughing.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know Zamir was the fixer in Romania. Mm-hmm. And another episode that made me laugh endlessly was the Uzbekistan episode when he was in the banya. I my my grandparents were actually born in Romania, but my parents were born in Ukraine. So I feel like all the Zamir episodes really speak to me. But the Uzbek banya where Anthony Bourdain is being like contorted by this, do well, I know
0: a really fun truth about that? So yes. the sound of Tony getting massaged and contorted is actually sound effect of creaky old chair. Jesse, of our brilliant <laughs> editors, found that and dubbed it in. It's actually fully. <laughs> creaking rocking chair I believe.
2: I loved that he was so honest about how much he hated that and how much he was annoyed with Samir for putting him through that. We'll be perfectly clear no one would have ever associated Anthony Bourdain with a vegan lifestyle.
1: And he was definitely also not known for being a health conscious chef.
2: Right he certainly did not maintain a plant-based diet.
1: But and there's a huge but here he did have a true passion for all things ingredients sourcing freshness and how things are made that's why we wanted to partner with sakara for this podcast
2: sakara delivers science-backed plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door the ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin
1: and on top of all of the nutritional benefits their food just simply tastes really good.
2: Yeah, it's fresh and tastes unlike any other at-your-door meal. I feel like Saqqara's food could really be suitable for any diet or lifestyle. I'm not vegan, and I love it. It's just good food.
1: And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to Saqqara.com slash or enter code Bourdain at checkout.
2: This is really an awesome deal. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Bourdain to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash B-O-U-R-D-A-I-N. Again, Sakara.com slash Bourdain. One of the episodes that we talked about a lot is the episode in the Congo. Can you mm. tell us a little bit more about that experience?
0: Yeah, well, that was the, that was the first season of, Unknown. There were all of these places that Tony had really wanted to go that Travel Channel was just never going to do. And so it was kind of like his bucket list. That first season in Congo was definitely one of them. I went from it was, he was built in Libya, and they went home for a week and then we went to Congo. And so back to back, those were two pretty kind of challenging episodes. And I think sort of after that we decided that that wasn't really where the show needed to be. Why is that? the crew did not we're not news. We weren't there to help. It was mm-hmm. didn't leave anybody with a good feeling. I mean, in Libya, it's more arguable that, you know, that episode, I think, was really meaningful and would help sort of break down stereotypes of stuff. I'm just not sure that Congo did that as much. It was unbelievably expensive, which mm-hmm. I didn't care as much about,
1: but I know that the production didn't like that, yeah, how would you like describe the the food and the culture from the Congo?
0: Well, people were, I remember incredibly nice. i I felt like they shouldn't have been so nice. Mm-hmm. I felt that a lot in different places that we went. We always struggled with that because Tony didn't like takeaways at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. but there sort of needed to be something. And we really struggled with the one in the Congo and how to end that episode. I really, really pressed him on it because I thought, you know, after all that we've been through, especially all the chicanery with the damn chicken on the boat in this place that's like, you know, in a war zone. There should be something there has to be something some reason Mm -hmm. why we risked our lives to go there and something that maybe makes it in perspective or more okay than even this is going on all he could come up with for that was, um, I wanted to go to the Congo and I did. So I think that was something he struggled with too. Mm -hmm. There's no answer. And then we never went back to somewhere like that.
2: There isn't really a neat wrap up sometimes mm-hmm. to anything. And there isn't sometimes a point to it. And then there's sometimes even the opposite of that, like a, I don't know if it's regret, but there's definitely sometimes where that's just not how life works. No, yeah. no neat wrap ups as we know and as we have experienced.
1: It's well known, obviously, that was like Tony's like passion project with his obsession with Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Sound, and everything. When this is like being proposed, Especially when I think you mentioned that CNN was like more than happy to fund it, right? How are you feeling when you're sitting here like listening to this and you're like, I have to fucking go and like do this?
0: I didn't really think about it beforehand because it was always one of those like Tony knows best Mm -hmm. sort of situations. And then in Libya, you know, that didn't really go so well. I think that's when at least I first started to think maybe we weren't doing the right thing. But I mean, everything, the tickets already been booked by that point. Uh, You know, if like Afghanistan had been on season two Mm -hmm. roster and then we had to like discuss that, that would have been different. But I mean, Afghanistan was a place that he'd been talking about a lot at the time. And Mm -hmm. then that kind of went away. So I, I don't know, we didn't really discuss it He would have sort of like a mentality of you're with me or you're not. Mm. So fortunately, it didn't have to come to a head.
1: Do you guys interact a lot in between the shoots?
0: I'm sure. I mean, the lead up to a shoot, uh, there always has lots, lots of questions. He would have wanted a treatment and lots of holes to poke in it. I don't remember the exact conversation. They definitely weren't about should we go? That never came up.
2: Did you have any say in where you guys went or was that all? Did that all come from Tony or did the crew and other people get to weigh in on locations?
0: No, it was always Tony's choice. But, you know, sometimes he would just be at like a party and somebody or in a scene, somebody might have mentioned a place. Oh, you should go there. That'd be really good. And then all of a sudden we'd be looking into that. French Guiana was an example of that. Fortunately, we didn't have to do that one because I don't know how we would have made an episode out of a week with the French Foreign Legion and Tony. I mean, it sounds funny on paper, but I mean, even just to get there, you had to fly through Paris from New York and French Guiana's not that far from new york
2: yes oh, that's so it's like a little triangle yeah or
0: that you could fly through the caribbean if you took like you know four different flights but with all of our i mean 30 cases of gear we mainly needed direct flights so we had to fly through paris which is ultimately what killed it but no i we did a hudson valley episode many many years ago because that's where i'm from you know with zach tony did a couple main shows over the years zach's from maine
2: given you um have traveled to so many places with tony and traveled to so many parts of the world is there any place that you haven't gone to yet that you personally really want to travel to in the future
0: i've always wanted to drive across the country the united mm. states i've never done that that's been a big dream of mine
2: it's so amazing um, that you're someone who's like gone to every random corner of this earth and you're like you know what i want to do i want to do something in america at that point i feel like <laughs> well, it i've refreshing.
0: been to about 75 countries and probably five states so uh-huh. yeah there's a lot try. of the united states left to see <laughs>
1: Would you say that, do you do a lot of like traveling now or are you like, all right, I've gone to a lot of countries. I'm going to stay at one I place. didn't do
0: traveling before though. I mean, it <laughs> didn't even really, it didn't feel like traveling. I mean, it was just, it was work. I mean, I'm so eternally grateful. I got to, Go to all those places, but...
1: I mean, I haven't done too much traveling myself in my life. Like, I went to Europe for the first time this summer. And when I got there, mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. it's like, beautiful as it is, as delicious as the food is, it's fucking hard. It's, it's tough. Traveling is hard? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I can't imagine. You're traveling... Europe can... was a
0: very difficult place to make the show because nobody cared. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to Asia, places mm-hmm. like that, generally, there was much more of like a do whatever you want. Sure, mm-hmm. you can set up a light there. I mean, I remember... This one time, owner of the restaurant made us wait an hour and a half before we go inside because there was a reservation that didn't show up. I had to wait a full hour after the reservation to make sure they weren't coming before we could go into the restaurant. They're like, so we don't care who you was are. a lot more. Yeah, Speaking, that made the show harder.
2: I, I can only imagine. Speaking of restaurants and food, is there a single dish? I know you didn't try everything, but I'm very food food focused, so I have so many food questions. Is there a single dish that you ate that stays in your brain forever?
0: In no reservations the... This restaurant we call the Angry Cousin. I think its real name is uh, Il Timonieri or something like that on the outskirts of Rome where this fight erupts, which is not a food riot, a different kind of fight over paying the check. But that's probably my favorite restaurant in the whole world in Rome. I want to write that down. And, it's called uh, T-
2: the Angry Cousin in Rome. I'm
0: writing the it Angry Cousin, yeah. Il Timonieri. It's in Garbatella.
1: And now, since we're, I guess, like reminiscing about food and everything, would you say, like, you think about like Tony a lot in like your everyday life? Things that have like stuck with you?
0: I'd say, whether I want to or not. Yeah. I can't think of a day that goes by and think about him.
2: If you had to name the number one most like lasting legacy or imprint on you that he made, what would that be?
0: Higher standards, maybe. You know, with TV, I who knows what I would have ended up doing if it wasn't for Tony, but I bet it wouldn't have been something that was so challenging. And to keep sort of challenging myself and not go for low-hanging fruit. Yeah, he definitely touched a lot of people. I mean, the fact that we're still talking about him here all these years later is obviously testament to that.
2: I think that's just beginning. I think we will all be talking about him for decades and decades to come.
0: One time... Well, it's not one time. But it happened a couple times. We were in Asia in later years. You'd see on the TV completely randomly an old episode of a Cook's Tour, and this is an episode that would have been 15 years old at the time.
2: This is something we've been asking people, and it's it's interesting to get different responses. But if you could describe Tony in one word, what would you? What would that word be?
1: Unpredictable. That is, I think, the quickest answer that we've gotten. I think so I'm going to
2: catalog every single yeah. answer, and then we can just make like a little montage of those words. <laughs> 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 What's the most unpredictable thing he did while mm. on, on set? It was when you least expected
0: it. Like the chickens, there's like, you know, there's lots of energy and focus on that. It'd be more just like, there's like a rug always being kind of pulled out from underneath you. It's like if there's something that you thought was terrible, he would have liked it. And if it was something you thought would have been great, he would have hated it.
1: So, So I guess in those unpredictable moments, would you ever just look back and think, fuck, if I wouldn't have just gone down the hallway and like switch shows when I was logging like <laughs> I would not be here slitting the throat of a chicken on a river <laughs> you know like did that ever like come to mind in those moments
0: It's funny no maybe partially because even if I could have changed that I mean the chicken's maybe a bad example there was mm-hmm. I don't remember thinking anything at that moment other than tunnel vision Yeah. given everything that tragically happened Mm -hmm. which is you know still really difficult I wouldn't give away a moment of it
2: do you remember where you were when you heard the news of Tony's passing and what that was like for you I
0: was in bed I had just woken up I thought it was my alarm going off but then both my phones started ringing so I knew something was wrong
2: and you weren't in France for that shoot with him
0: no I was getting ready to leave for India we were had an India shoot coming up in Rajasthan
1: if you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing maybe like what was going through your mind, that initial shock?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was very surreal. It still mm-hmm. feels like surreal. I We all knew right away that he had killed himself. That part was still kind of impossible. Mm-hmm. to wrap my head around, I think he had, you know, it wasn't an accident. It was sort of like my first thought.
2: Even though he had such a dark sense of humor at times, you really mm-hmm. just did not think he would ever do something like that. And, and why is that?
0: It'd be like saying the sun's not going to come up tomorrow. I mean, it's just Tony. I mean, he was always moody and depressed, but I kind of thought he was smarter than that. I mean, I know that's not really the right thing to say. It doesn't have to do with intelligence, obviously. But I just, I don't know. I mean, he also seemed really happy later time. I mean, there were ups and downs, but
1: yeah. Thank you for sharing that with
2: us, Thank you. And and obviously, there's no right way, no right thing to say. Mm -hmm. And it's really awkward being us and trying to ask that question to be honest well
0: it's just it's so it's just like impossible news it still doesn't feel real i don't know if that's more difficult for people who knew him or didn't know him or what but i can definitely you know believe that he did it but still impossible to think that he would if Mm -hmm. that makes sense
2: I think it feels like an impossible concept in general. It's like articulate and anyone you know, mm-hmm. all of us have of course known someone or known of someone in our lifetimes that has committed suicide and it mm-hmm. feels like an impossible concept to understand especially when that person has a family and things like that. I've so- never
0: known anyone before. I mean that was my first experience mm-hmm. with any of that so yeah.
2: Do you keep in touch with Tony's family?
0: It's been a while.
2: It's hard to believe it's been almost 5 years.
0: He missed the whole pandemic. He would not have enjoyed that. I'll tell you. I feel
2: like anyone who had he any. Was a total germaphobe.
0: Ten- Dr- he was no. a germaphobe, and he couldn't stay still. So lockdown would have.
2: That's a silver lining, I guess. I mean, that would have been awful. I think like the pandemic was particularly awful for anyone with any depressive tendencies. So oh, absolutely,
1: it would have been interesting to hear his take, though. On, you know. I would, everything I, yeah. that was happening. And I'd be
2: very curious. What do you think he would have thought about the pandemic and, and how everything was handled?
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you. The one thing he would have said would have been not whatever I could imagine he would have said. It would have been? Along the lines of unpredictable. I mean, unpredictable. <laughs> he would have done something, I'm sure, to help restaurants. Restaurants, yeah. yeah. During that time, I think he would have been using the attention that he had for that.
2: Do you stay in touch with the... crew or like all the people that worked with Tony?
0: Uh, Not everyone, but certainly lots of them. It was a pretty small team of people and we'd all for the most part, worked together for many, many years. So kind of like uh college friends.
2: I love it. And then when you yeah. see each other, it's like no time has passed. It has been just such a joy and pleasure to chat with you mm-hmm. and learn from you. And thank you for giving us your time and your yeah. insight and your energy and um, talking to us about things that yeah. are sometimes easy and sometimes not easy. Yeah, thank really you for opening
1: it. up and everything. And yeah, just giving us and whoever's listening to this more insight on someone that has changed many people's lives and, coming from you firsthand, you got to meet him, get to know him, work with him, be friends with him. Uh, We really, really appreciate everything.
0: I appreciate what you guys are doing, too. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of Anthony Bourdain. Friends of Anthony Bourdain is produced by Haley Drazen of Hey Now Media and Brandon Brown.
1: Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow along on Instagram and TikTok at Friends of Anthony Bourdain. And don't forget to visit friendsofanthonybourdain.com.